Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, we're thinking about uh, our calling, and so uh, right at the top as we've thought about this series, Tune In, and what that looks like and what that means, uh, I just want to remind you this morning that uh, the thought is that uh, if you don't hear anything else, if you don't get anything else, you are called. You're called. And uh, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to think about that this morning and uh, talk a little bit about what that looks like and what that means. And uh, I, I got an email yesterday, and uh, it was a joking email, but it asked if uh, I was going to be offering remote uh, counseling uh, due to all the togetherness. So uh, maybe, maybe you identify with that. Maybe you're thinking uh, cooped up in your house all day uh, with all those folks. Uh, maybe an intervention is needed of some kind, and so... Uh, uh, it reminds me of a little bit of a story that uh, I heard a long time ago. Uh, Jeff Allen is a comedian, and he does a lot of family kind of comedy. And he tells a story about when he was very first married, and he and his wife got into a little bit of an argument. And in the middle of the argument, it sort of deteriorated into that thing maybe you're familiar with, in which uh, they were saying, I didn't say that. This is what I said. I never said that. This is what I said. And uh, as he tells the story, he says, I realize now that I was asking the wrong question and I was addressing the wrong issue, that what I needed to learn to ask, and he, he actually stops his whole show in the middle of that and he calls out all the young guys in the audience and says, hey, if you're newly married, here's some free advice for you. I learned to ask a different question and here's the question that I learned to ask. What did you hear me say? We can save a lot of time. We can save a lot of energy by not discussing what I said or you said or they said but just by asking this one question, what did you hear me say? That's, that's what we need to talk about. That's, that's the real subject. And I think it applies in a, in a much broader sense. Because the truth of the matter is, when you and I are engaged in conversation with someone, there are the words that are getting spoken, but there's a lot of other stuff going on around that. And all that means is that Every person who is engaged in a conversation is having a different conversation. They're having a different perspective. They're having a different experience of what's happening to them. So to try to recreate that just doesn't work. And that's especially true when you start to think about the voice in your head. When you start to think about the messages uh, into which you tune, the, the the questions that are coming at you, the thoughts that you're having and, and how they're entering your brain. So we could talk about your calling and your purpose and who I am and who I'm supposed to be. And in that, we could ask this question, what do we really think God is inviting us to? Uh, what do we really think about our own purpose? And most of us would come up with a fairly effective list. We would, we would think in terms of what we would like to be hearing but I want to ask you a different question. Not what you think you ought to be hearing, but what are you actually hearing? What are you actually hearing the universe say? What voices are resonating in your head about your calling and about your purpose and about your worth? Because that's, that's the conversation we ought to have. Not the one you think you ought to have. Not what you believe it should be. Not what you're aspiring to. But for every one of us, what are we really hearing? And so I want to invite you this morning to just kind of take a deep breath and think about that. 
What is the voice in your head to which you are attuned? What, what are you hearing about your own worth and your own value? In fact, I, I want to take it a step further, and I want to break it down into just a couple of diagnostic questions. So here they are. Number one, what is your purpose? What do you believe about yourself and the reason you are on this planet? What's your goal? What's your highest value? What do you feel you are contributing to the people around you? What's your priority? If I were to say to you, uh, if you could do only one thing every day for the rest of your life, what would that one thing be? We're hearing a lot of messages about our purpose. We're, we're hearing a lot of things about what we ought to do. But what do you hear the universe say to you? Question number two. How much of your time is actually spent on what you believe to be your true purpose? It seems to me logically there should be some meaningful connection, some correlation between what we believe the purpose of our life is and the amount of time we're spending towards that purpose. So if you have some clarity and if you have some understanding of what your calling and your, your purpose might be, how much time, intentional time, are you spending towards that purpose? So this is an old conversation. It's, it's, you know, it's the whole conversation about what's important and what's urgent. And for so many of us, what is urgent is pushing out what's important. Steve Jobs once said, that's been one of my mantras, focus and simplicity. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean, to make it simple. But it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. Simplicity and focus are important. There's all kinds of life coaches that will talk you through all of this stuff. And, and so if you're already starting to wonder, uh, you, you might already know. But in a few minutes, we're going to talk about biblical purpose. So if, you know, these, if you're just wondering now where we're going, we'll get there. There's all kinds of life coaches. In a recent article, Jeff Goyne uh, entitled, The Insanely Simple Way to Prioritize Your Life and Work Suggests Four Things That Matter. And, and here's something interesting to me. Uh, here we are, you know, sort of bound together in our homes and uh, uh, limited, you know, ability to move around. And, uh, and, I, and as I think about this, when this sermon was written, we were kind of talking about this whole general idea about your purpose and, and what does it mean in the big world. And, and now here's a little article about how to simplify. It seems to me that this is so applicable to what we're going through. If instead of asking it only in this big sense of what the world means and where we are in the greater picture, maybe we today are really asking this question in relationship to where we're living. If I were to say, how do you simplify and prioritize in your own home, in your own family, in the current circumstances, uh, I don't want to lose the greater application, but I don't want to miss the finer application. And so think about this. Four steps. Number one, practice being present. He suggests that we practice mindfulness. We feel our feelings, we think our thoughts, we become aware of what's happening around us. Parker Palmer writes these words, Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. And I wonder how many of us are really slowing down. 
The question is not what you think you ought to be doing, but the question is, what did you hear the universe say in your brain? What voices are speaking to you? Number two, design your ideal week. Our schedules, our priorities should not be something that are a tyranny to us. We are the only people who can plan a life in which we enjoy living. And I know there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, especially today. We can't do everything. But, but how many of us, just in these last few days, recognize the privileges that we took for granted just a week ago? And now they're very, very different for us. And maybe this season is a time for us to really simplify and focus, to really recognize and understand that, that in a few weeks, in a few months, prayerfully, as, as this virus runs its course and we experience the full gamut of our freedoms again, what would it be like if we said, I'm not going to be the same person when I get out the other end? I'm going to be distinctly different. I'm going to practice being present with the people around me. And I'm going to think about the priority. Even today, I'm going to think about what do I want this day to look like with intentionality. I don't want to waste another minute of my life. I want to be intentional in that process. Number three, don't go it alone. Create some accountability as to what you see as your purpose and how your time is being used wisely towards accomplishing that purpose. Don't go it alone. Number four, he says, consider your calling. It's a good practice to ask yourself on a fairly regular basis, is this what I am meant to do? It doesn't mean that, you know, we have to blow everything up in our lives, but maybe, and in the article he uses the word pivot a lot, Maybe we just by simply asking the question, is this what I am meant to do? We can pivot so that it seems like our everyday life is more on track to what we deeply believe about who we are and about what we're created to do and about our calling. So with all of that in mind, let's turn our attention to the biblical calling. The whole reason we're having this conversation is because the Bible is very outspoken about our priority and our calling. Not surprisingly, the biblical priorities are a little different. I'm guessing that at this stage, most of us have thought about a lot of things, but they're distinctly different from what the Bible speaks about when it comes to our uh, priorities and our calling. So Paul, as he writes to inspire kingdom life at the, those at the city of Ephesus and surrounding, he's very clear and he's very simple and he's very direct. Listen to his words and listen to the priority of the calling he speaks about. Ephesians 4, 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. If you follow along in Paul's writing, we call that a digression. 
He's got a main thought and other thoughts squeeze in. So if you got lost in the middle right there, just, just don't digress. Just go back. He picks it up again in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. For Him the whole body, joined and held together by ever-supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I just think it's amazing to me that as Paul urges us to live a life worthy of our calling, he first wants it to be very clear. You have purpose, and you have worth, and you have a calling. You have something to accomplish in your life, in your world, in your family, in your relationships, in your friendships. There is a calling that goes with this process. When we tune into the message of God... It's not an accident that there is this powerful and important sequence and order into what Paul is saying. So I see five things that I think really matter. I'm not sure how we would put these in order in our understanding, but immediately he talks about character issues over functionality. So to give you a sequence, there's a prelude here. There are five things he speaks of. And then he's going to talk about unity, and then he's going to talk about function. Notice where function lies in this process. Character, unity, function. Character, love the Lord God with all your heart. Unity, love your neighbor as yourself. How you do that, the functionality of that is a gift of God. But it's somewhere over here. And I would guess that most of us in this conversation, we've already jumped over there. And we're thinking mostly about our functionality so he says, number one, be humble. Be humble. This word, uh, humble, was not a word of virtue until the biblical writers came along. For the Greek philosophers, up until the first century, honestly, humility was cowardice. It was considered to be a negative word. In fact, it really didn't even have a distinct Greek word. It was the Christian writers of the first century that coined this word for humility. And yet, within a very short amount of time, this became what is considered to be the core virtue. Humility. 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 In this sequence, what he's talking about is this, that we know ourselves, and we understand who we are, and in humility, we understand that we are called to be Christ-like. It's a simple idea. We understand where we are headed. So, we, we have a real good sense of what's happening to us. We, we don't find our worth by comparing ourselves to others. That's a dangerous process. There's always people ahead of us and there's always people behind us. There's always people we can compare ourselves to that make us feel better and there's always some we can compare ourselves to that make us feel worse. And Paul says practice humility and humility means stop looking around, understand who you are, and understand that we are called to this one thing, to be Christ-like. That's our purpose. That's what we're doing. 
And it's easy to ask ourselves, what is my calling? My calling is to know who I am and to know where I'm headed. That's humility. I know who I am and I know where I'm headed. Number two, he says, we are to practice gentleness. Gentleness. Of course, this is one of my favorite words in the New Testament. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the meek. The word is prous, prous. So you already know one of the meanings of the word. So he says, I want you to be completely gentle. I want you to be humble. I want you to know who you are, and I want you to know what your pursuit is. And I want that to be the focus. The humility of your life is built around this one thing. This is who I am, and this is where I'm going. And then I want you to practice a gentleness. The first way the word prous is used in the Greek language is it's the middle ground. It's the place where virtue is, the middle ground between extremes. And that's a simple way of saying you and I are gentle in this sense. We are able to love people on both ends of the spectrum. We, we, we plan ourselves as the middle of life people, and we love people who are different from us on the one side and different from us on the other side. We plan ourselves in the middle, so whatever the issue might be, whatever the perspective might be, politics, uh, you know, your perspective on the coronavirus, whatever it is, we plant ourselves solidly in the middle so that we might love people on all of the spectrum of life, on all the continuum. Is that true of you? When it comes to calling, Paul's saying, before we talk about unity and function, let's talk about this, gentleness. Let's talk about what it means. Let's talk about how it works. So, so in this moment, then, this word prouse has a second meaning. And the second meaning is that it is, a, it is spoken about animals, animals who are completely under the control of their master. Now, the interesting thing is the Greeks didn't use this word in relationship to animals that had no spirit. They didn't use this uh, word in relationship to animals that uh, didn't act out or weren't full of life. In fact, this word was reserved for a very specific kind of animal, an la- animal that longed to please its master. So even if it was high-spirited and rambunctious, as long as it had this quality about it, it was considered to be an animal of great gentleness. It wasn't an animal of self-control. It was an animal under the master's control. And so the word is, as Paul says, listen, I want you to understand in humility who you are and what your calling is, and I want you to understand this gentleness, this middle-of-life kind of living, not where you're under self-control, but where you're under God's control. Pursue it. This is your purpose. This is your calling. Whatever happens in your functionality, whatever happens in the unity of relationships, that's coming next. That's down here. Over here is your calling. To be completely humble and to be gentle in your soul. Number three, he points out patience. I want you to be patient with each other. That sounds really passive. And so actually a better translation of the word is long-suffering. I want you to be a person of great endurance. I just want to stop there and think for a moment about what that might look like. Um... I don't know how it's going at your house. I don't know what's happening to you. Uh, What a weird thing. Um, I mean, how much TV can you watch? 
And how many, I, I mean, most of us are looking for something we haven't seen yet. And uh, at our house, we have distinct personalities in that. So some people in our house like to watch old things that we really like and we've seen before and we love and we can rely on. And other people only want to watch new things. And so they want to see things they haven't seen before. So I don't know what the dynamic is like in your house, but I'm guessing that for a lot of us, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how that we might be entertained. And I, I think what comes out of all of that is we're not really great at long-suffering. We're not really great at endurance. Um, I, I've seen a post on Facebook and social media this week saying, uh, you mean it's only been three days? Um, we, we really aren't that great at endurance. Paul says... Listen, it's really important that we understand our calling is to be people of long-suffering and patience. We are to be these people. This is our task. This is our calling. This is the message of God. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient in this process. John Chrysostom defined this as the spirit which has the power to take revenge but never does. J.B. Lightfoot says... Uh, it's the spirit which refuses to retaliate. We are patient with the people around us. I'm going to slow that down. It's the spirit which has the power to take revenge but never does. It is the spirit which refuses to retaliate. I, I'm going to say this. I think we will get through these next few weeks better if we are people that practice this kind of patience. That we could take revenge, but we won't. That we carry around a spirit that refuses to retaliate. That we practice this, not at some global yet, level just yet, though the calling certainly is scalable. But we start here. Here's our calling. Our calling right now, this week, in your home, with your family, is to be long-suffering. Refusing to retaliate. Carrying on a spirit of great patience. Because we all need it. We all need it. All of us, we're fragile, we're folks that need to be built up, not turned, not turned against or turned down. Uh, he's forever patient with us. This is God's spirit towards us. He is long-suffering towards us. And we're invited to be that to each other. And then finally, he says, you're to love each other. There are, as you probably know, four words in Greek for love. There's eros, which has to do with romantic love. There's aphilia, which has to do with friendship. There's storge, which is the familial kinds of love. And then there's agape. Agape uh, is described as the unconquerable benevolence. It is how we regard people when we understand that even if they hurt us or insult us, we will never feel anything but kindness towards them. Even if they mistreat us, we always desire for their best. So I, I just want to be sure we get there. <laughs> this agape kind of love that is our, our calling is the kind of love that says, even though you may have hurt me, even though you may have done or said something that was painful to me, this agape love is a love that deeply desires still the very best for you. I'm already being patient. I'm already refusing to retaliate. I, I, I'm not returning evil for evil or, or, or pettiness for pettiness. Or I'm practicing a, a, a kind of humility that keeps me focused here and on who Christ is calling me to be 
I'm existing in this space of gentleness in which I, I hold the middle ground and love everybody on the edges. I know it's not about my self-control. It's about coming under the control of God. I, I'm practicing a patience that allows me endurance. And I'm exercising a kind of love that continuously wishes the best for the people around me. This is our calling. Before we ever get to the next part about the relationships and when we get to the next part about our function, this is our calling. This is who God invites us to be, to focus on, to think about, to program and pattern our life after. Finally, there's a fifth thing in the list, and and Paul says we're called to peace. We're told that we're to live out these virtues, and the result is that we will have peace. And the context of the uh, definition here is it will mean right relationships with each other. We'll live in right relationships with each other. And so now that he's given us these things, now that he's talked about all of these things, he's pulling together and saying, and guess what? When we live out this calling, it creates incredible unity. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who's Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. As we answer this calling to the character to the virtues of our own life and our own journey. It pulls us together under the lordship and headship of Christ into this incredibly powerful unity. We don't seek unity. We live unity. Our very calling pulls us together as a body, pulls us together into this right relationship with one another. We don't have to figure it all out because our calling is pulling us into this space. And now, after all of that... Paul starts to talk about function. It seems to me that we live that exactly upside down. You and I, we talk about function. In fact, most of us have been taught at some point in our life that in order to achieve our function in the world, we would sacrifice our character. We would give up a little bit of that humility. We'll give up a little bit of that patience. We'll give up a little bit of that love. We'll give up a little bit of that, you know process because our function becomes how we identify our worth but Paul says listen God apportioned grace over here on functionality as needs that's just a practical thing but over here is our calling to be these people of this character and this movement and so I want to go back and I want to just ask you as we wrap up this morning I want to ask you these questions one more time. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? And maybe at the end of this discussion, that question hits you differently than it hit you at the beginning. What do you believe God is calling you to be? And then the second diagnostic question, how much time do you spend on what you believe to be your purpose? You have a calling. God's invited you to be something. He's invited you to be something before you go do something. And so my prayer today is that when you tune in, even in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, as you tune in, this is not about your functionality. It's not about who's going to go to the grocery store and get the goods. It's, it's not about how we're going to function in this new world we're living in. 
This is about the calling of who he's called you and I to be. And my prayer for you is that you realize this. It doesn't matter if you're locked in your house. It doesn't matter if you get to go to your office every day. It doesn't matter what you get to do. All of us can answer and respond to the calling that God has placed on our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks. We invite you into this space, into the real world in which we're living right now, into the confusion and fear and loneliness and uncertainty. We're asking you to give us wisdom, to exercise your grace in our lives. We're asking you to meet the needs represented. You know there's some fears, some very practical things out there. Some folks this week have lost their jobs, and some folks are going without pay, and there's all kinds of unknowns. I'm asking that you would be the source of optimism and peace and grace and hope, and I'm praying you'd remind each one of us that we're not helpless. There's a call on our lives that nothing in the world interrupts. Would you see our hearts? Would you see our minds? Would you see our spirits? We humble ourselves. We seek you in gentleness and patience and love and peace. And we say from the depths of our being, we resonate across this city, across this country, across this world with these words that we sing as our proclamation, as our response to your word as a truth about who you are it is well it is well and we give you thanks in Jesus name and everybody said together amen let's respond to his word thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast for more information please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org have a great day